Oh, hi. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is where Louisa and Beverly bring you the experts, the stories, and the research impacting the cybersecurity profession today. Hi, I'm Louisa Vogel and Zhang. Hi, I'm Beverly Roche. Together, we are your co hosts for the Cybersecurity Cafe. Louisa. Typically, you're known for your research, but today you're going to unpack a cartoon? Yes, I am. Well, I saw a really uh, a cartoon that I sent you a screenshot of uh, on the Cyber Security Hub this week. And it was a cartoon, and it's obviously quite hard to describe visual things on a podcast, so bear with me, I'll do my best. But it was a cartoon, and it had a cybersecurity professional sat at a table with some young children, and a, a, a person had come over uh, with a, a board of directors label on him, and he basically is saying, we think it's time for you to come and sit at the big kids' table. Yeah, isn't that timely and a perfect lead-in for our guest today. So just to quote Warren Buffett, and everybody's got a load of respect for Warren Buffett, um, he says, we run in uncharted territory by not having the right cyber security skill sets in every boardroom. Companies and their boards have set themselves up for failure. It's almost guaranteed it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, I don't like fear-mongering, but that's someone very credible that watches the market and watches companies very closely. So I really respect the fact that he's really acknowledging how important that that is to have that function there. So if we get our time in the boardroom and not everybody in cybersecurity gets gets that opportunity to talk to the board, and, and when we do, it may only be a few minutes, how do we possibly convey the right information that the board needs in, in that just that few minutes that we get if we get it? And how do we make sure that we understand what they're thinking and what they need from us. And I think we've made a lot of assumptions about what boards want to talk about and what they're interested in. The reality is we'd like to think because we see cyber risk as so important, we'd love to think that we're one or number two. And I think there was an article last year that said, you know, we're in the top five subjects. I'm not sure that's true. And I'm hoping that our guest today is going to share some really interesting insights. Yeah, I'm so confident he'll be able to do that. Um, Jason Wilk will be joining us. He has got one foot in the boardroom and one foot in cybersecurity. So I can't think of anybody better qualified to come and talk to us about what boards need from us and how we can better engage with them on, on cybersecurity. Let's go to the chat. Jason Wilk, welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe. We are so excited to have you here. Jason, you are Managing Director of Blue Zoo. You're also co-author of the Cyber for Directors course by the Australian Institute of Company Directors. And we know you're going to have some fantastic insights for us today. So a very warm welcome to you, Jason. Well, thank you so much. And it's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to start with a first question, which is, uh, could you tell us how you landed in cybersecurity? Uh, like most things for me, complete and utterly accidental. Um, I took some leave and uh, a fairly large audit came down and someone needed to become the new IT security manager as this was last century. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds horrible when I say that. Um, 
and essentially uh, I was volunteered because um, my peers were like, no, nah, don't want to do that. Um, and it was an absolutely fantastic change. I was just in IT heading up a team of open network systems people and I got exposed to this amazing world. Back then it was all mainframe security and we were just opening up to the internet and so I was right on that early cusp. Um, and fortunately the organisation committed to it I was able to build a team. We got to go to black hat conferences and, you know, the, the people we were up against back then, most of the hacking, it was people doing it for thrill um, and prestige. Uh, it didn't, hadn't become a business yet. Um, so it was, a, it was a strange time and a very early time to be in the industry, um, but still very focused on that command and control put up barriers and perimeters, um, yeah, but accidental, I yeah. would say. <laughs> <laughs> so if we fast forward to what you're doing today, could you tell us a bit more about what that looks like? So about 13 years ago, I moved out of the commercial sector, started my own business um, and tried very hard to get away from IT. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we started up a corporate governance strategy and risk organization, um, taking those skills from IT and translating them across to the corporate world. Um, and what we find is having one foot in that technology camp and one foot in the boardroom, we're highly effective translators. Uh, so I, I kind of our journey through our business has really been in that describing what goes on in both worlds to the other parties. I still find that as an industry, we're still not particularly good at translating the whole cyber world and not just the cyber, it's technology. Because I think one of the things that I've learned as a facilitator for the Australian Institute of Company Directors is when we teach corporate governance, we teach directors about their duty to define a balance between the performance and the conformance aspects of an organization. So it's inquiry about how far and fast does their organization go, but are we complying with the laws? Um, and, and I find that when we look at the cyber world, there is still a focus on the, that compliance aspect. And it's one of the great questions I ask, and it's a good question for every director to ask out there. In our organization, we've got people responsible for compliance and cybersecurity, but we've got people responsible for how do we use this technology stuff to get into new markets, do new things, optimize, more efficiency. The people that are doing the performance, how do they interact with the people doing the conformance? Because often they're different groups and they should be, but how do they interact those two groups and how do they find the balance? And I think that's one of the true challenges for directors. How do I apply the skills I already have into a space I probably don't need to truly deeply understand, but how do I guide the organization and verify that they are finding the balance between finding these new opportunities, but also staying in compliance and conformance and making sure that the organization is safe. So it's that sort of being able to innovate uh, with with the right guardrails in place. Is that how you would describe it? One of one of my staff um, is a uh, in the Formula One space as well, and 
we got to talk to one of the drivers and was trying to explain what we do in the cyber world. And he came back at, straight away at me and said, oh, you kind of like my brakes. Better the brakes, the faster I go. Um, and it's like that. If I've got the right controls and if I trust them, then I'll be more inclined to go quicker and faster. Um, and that was his interpretation of what we do in the cybersphere. And there's challenges with it, but um, that was an interesting perspective. And do you think that accurately reflects where we are today? Are we providing effective working breaks that people can trust? I think cyber industry is doing some fantastic things. And I think some of the innovations and that perpetual arms race, the bad actors will come up with a new way of getting past controls. And then the industry will come up ways to effectively block that. But it is an arms race. And I think that we've been doing reasonably well, getting funding, being part of the organizational journey and getting involved. And I think this is something that's changed from my day. Um, cyber people tend to get involved a lot earlier. Um, I was always finding it out stuff right before it was due to go live. I think that's definitely changed. I think as a societal problem, I'm not sure that we in the cyber industry are connected with the emotional, feeling-y type stuff outside our organization. So we think a lot about the cyber controls inside our organization and in our third-party supply chain ecosystem but I'm not sure we as an industry are yet thinking about the societal impacts and the emotion aspect of cyber. Yeah, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, the fact that you know we're still seeing commentary, I guess the, the terms stupid user are still used and it's that lack of connection to, to what the impact might be on everyday humans um, and the fact that they're not, you know, if they're not understanding cybersecurity, where does where does the fault lie? You know, is that us as an industry for not communicating it effectively enough? So I think there's still still some challenges in that space for mm. sure. And I think we've gotten a lot better at communicating how do people do cyber, but it's much more around the doing of it rather than all of the emotional stuff around it and thinking through the humanistic impacts and consequences. Um, and I was talking to a, a, a young gentleman who did his master's in psychology and has now flicked across to doing his PhD in cyber. And I see that as the double threat. That's the kind of people we need in our industry to be understanding the psychological, societal impacts um, that cyber impacts, you know, this is what they're causing. Yep. Uh, was talking to a customer and he had a fantastic story. He has minor dyslexia. There's just a few words that he spells backwards. And he got a phone call. He was on holiday and he got a phone call from his CFO saying, I've just got an email from you and I'm just doesn't quite feel right. It's we're opening up a new thing in China yeah. and you've asked me to pay these legal fees, but it just seems more than we normally pay. And it, turned out to be a whaling attack, but they'd picked up on the CEO's minor dyslexia 
and they had the words he misspells wrong, they'd actually got them. Wow. And both of them quite sophisticated in terms of understanding cyber impacts, been on training, did the, you know, they've subscribed to a phishing internal testing process in their business, but we're up against people that are using psychologists and behavioral specialists. That's where they've moved to. And we as an industry, we have to move there too. And it's no longer about the technologies. It's now about the human behavioral aspects. And I think that's where we've got to improve. So, Jason, we mentioned earlier that you helped, uh, you co-authored the Cyber Directors course for the Australian Institute of Company Directors. And, and that's where we actually met because I did, did that wonderful mm. course. And Thank you. Uh, for a, a cybersecurity professional, it was very insightful and helpful to me to kind of understand better the language of, of directors. Um, so thank you for that. And I'd love to hear more about how you went about creating the content for that course. That was a really interesting journey. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'd been trying to get away from the IT world. And so I'd been teaching corporate governance, strategy and risk for the Australian Institute of Company Directors for nine years now. Um, so as one of their facilitators, they knew of my background um, and it originally it came out of a review of the Australian cyber strategy, uh, the government's cyber strategy. They ran it for the first year, and like all good strategies, they did a review of it and said, well, it's not working, and one of the things that they found was the education vertical of that cyber strategy. Lots had been going on in universities, but there was this big audience of critical decision makers that were being left behind. So the Australian government then, through Data61, which is the cyber arm of CISRO, um, they approached AICD and said, what we'd like to do is build a course. And they laid out what they felt was the content and the theory, um, started to pull that together as a three-day course. Um, and that's when it started to get a bit – it was a bit too technical in – that's when I was brought in as someone that could sort of see both sides. As a professional director, I know what it's like to sit in a boardroom and receive these reports. Um, I'm used to being a consultant that is giving those reports, yeah. and I've been a CISO, and I've been the one generating those reports. So I, <laughs> I all see the all the different angles, <clears throat> and... It began that interesting journey, and I co-authored it with my business partner, uh, Mark Wallace, and we worked for three or four months to take the headings, the Data61 and the, the areas of content, and we translated that into what do directors need to get their heads around um, and how do boards tackle this problem. And they don't have to manage. They need to do oversight, and it's one of the big lessons we often see boards, even today, delegating this to management. <clears throat> and the thing, the technique we use is if you look at the occupational health and safety world, we've got three decades of corporate knowledge. We have an organizational risk where we could kill people, there are catastrophic outcomes for that risk. We've got an organization that has a culture. We've got to change that culture. 
we've got cyber, which can generate a catastrophic risk for a business. We've seen organizations essentially end because of cyber impacts. It's still predominantly a people problem, but there's a huge technology connection in there. So we tried to go through and figure out how do directors and organizations leverage the skills that they already have. Because most directors come to our course, they're very well versed in how do we deal with operational risk, especially the oversight of it. We try and figure how do we use your existing skills, but apply it to this I can't say new because it's been around for a while. <laughs> um, how do we apply those existing skill sets to this realm of cyber, which does look very scary, very daunting, um, and quite challenging? Um, and it's a, it's a consistent feedback from people that come on the course. Cyber is a much broader problem than they originally thought. A lot of directors come on the course still feel they're going to learn about the technology aspects, and we hardly touch on them. Um, do you think that's because we've set their expectation as an industry or maybe it's the media that sets the expectation I think it's the that media. it's a technology problem? I think it's the media. Okay. Um, the fear, uncertainty and doubt that's created, um, th there is an expectation that the problem is a technological one and the solution is therefore a technological one. Yeah. And I don't believe that's ever been the case and I remain to be convinced otherwise. But it's still... One of the things that when we broaden their perspective of what do we mean by cyber, and it's not just the IT, it's the IoT and it's the people and it's the breadth of it and scale of it. It's not just your organization. It's all the organizations that you deal with, that they deal with, that they deal with. It's this huge ecosystem um, and we're accountable for it. And it's scary except when you go back to the 1980s and you look at the journey directors had to go through then when they were being told you can go to jail for negligence and occupational health and safety. But that was a huge societal problem. We can train everyone in an organisation, but then someone new comes in. It's that problem. But we as a community and we as a society, we solve that. Um, and I think that's our next step in the cyber realm to see beyond our organization's borders and to think societally about the cyber issues. Yeah. So you mentioned that the boards have come into those causes with the perception that cybersecurity is a technology problem. Is there anything, see, without breaching confidentiality, but is there anything or any insights you can share about what else they were saying about cybersecurity or anything that the cybersecurity community could learn from how um, how they're feeling about their interactions with the cybersecurity community? Bit of a long question there, but feel free to yeah, share unpack that one. what you can. Um, and we, we do operate the course under a Chatham House rule. Yeah. So I, I can't get too specific. But... We've been running it for a couple of years now all over Australia and there are some very consistent themes. Directors, by and large, don't understand the breadth and the fact that one of the ways of addressing cyber is leveraging existing control systems and governance structures. Turn to the occupational health and safety people and, well, how do we change the culture back in the 80s and the 90s? What worked, what didn't? Um, that tends to be a consistent theme. Um, one of the other themes that we also find is a bit of a surprise, 
is the amount we talk about emotions and feelings and how often in technology we focus on we need this technology to do this for our business and we test does it do it but then do we test well what happens when it goes wrong and we might test how does a system fail but we're generally testing it against from our business objectives but it's the how will this emotionally if this fails how will this emotionally impact staff customers third party suppliers and i think that connection between the technology world and the human being world i think that's still we've got a fair way to go yeah mm-hmm. and moving on to talk a little bit about culture um we often hear that a good security culture needs to start from the top down so from from the board executive level down do you think uh the boards and ceos are ready to set that culture for a, a good security culture or is there still a little way, way to go in there understanding of how to do that i'd like to challenge you on that <laughs> go for it um <laughs> we get a fairly consistent pushback when we talk about cyber culture lots of organizations have spent time thinking about their organizational culture and directors in particular get very nervous when we start talking about a cyber culture and i agree with them i get nervous um i have to talk about our cyber culture um but i actually get it when directors and senior executives push back and say why do i need another culture our organization should have one culture now before any of the cyber people jump down my throat <laughs> i get it that in the cyber world the behaviors actually sometimes need to be different when someone walks into our branch we want a certain culture we want certain behaviors that are welcoming and customer support when someone comes to our organization digitally we still need that we want to help you but we need to have a lot more distrust we need that verification up front and it's sometimes called zero trust but one of the things that is a consistent theme having a cyber culture that actually starts you off on the wrong foot with directors before you even begin talking about it we and this is a bit semantic but we talk about cyber behaviors um as part of the organization's culture one of the things we're seeing coming out of the royal commissions both into banking and the disability and aged care is organizations talking about this risk culture and again it's an organization's culture at the top but then we want to talk about behaviors and how do we make sophisticated risk based decisions and this is a actually a brilliant opportunity for our industry we've got a whole sector in the financial services and a lot of other industries looking at how will they deal with this more sophisticated how will they implement this more sophisticated risk culture cyber is one of those risks um so we actually have a really good opportunity of organizations that are thinking about how do we improve our risk decision making processes and great plug for the 
ISO 31000-2018 standard, it talks about how do organizations use risk management to make more sophisticated business decisions. And that is a perfect lever to get in for the cyber people and say, there's cyber decisions that have to be made and it's not in the boardroom and it's not in management. It's actually right at the coalface that those sophisticated cyber decisions need to be made. Um, sorry. No, it's okay. Let's be clear. We need cyber decisions in the boardroom, management and frontline. Um, but this is a great example. When a board is building their cyber risk appetite, which is an extension of their corporate risk appetite, one of the things I'm constantly pushing is how will that cyber risk appetite be consumed by people at the coalface when it's written by executives for board and executives in very you know, big generic terms, we often find that we need that translated for the everyday person that is an employee that wants to come and do the best job that they can do and then go home to what matters. And they have to translate and they come across these scenarios where they have to make a cyber decision and the guidance is still quite esoteric and generic. Yeah. Um, and that's a really powerful thing to, to consider them as an audience for a cyber risk appetite um, and involving, an, we've, we've done this, we've gone out and asked them and said, when do you need guidance to make those decisions? And that question is brilliant. The responses you get back are quite insightful. Mm. Um, and for someone that's been in the cyber industry a long time, it's really interesting to get people that don't understand what we do to get their feedback on when do they need to make decisions related to my world, mm. what are those circumstances, and it's always surprising. So one of the much debated uh, items we hear today um, is about the reporting line of cybersecurity. Mm. So I would love to get your thoughts um, on this because you know we hear that for it to have true impact, the, the Chief Information Security Officer should not potentially sit under IT, under the CIO, that they should sit somewhere else in the organisation um, because there's a potentially a conflict of interest between those availability targets mm -hmm. that a CIO might have. I would love to get your thoughts on this because I'm sure you've you've dug deep into this one in in past conversations and and yeah and you've been a, a size owner yourself. Mm. So, what are your thoughts on that? So my first, it was wasn't size back then. It was head of IT security. Um, I reported that a facilities management manager who reported to the CIO, who reported to the CFO, who reported to the CEO. So that was a long way down. Um, from a director's perspective, this is actually a really easy one to answer. Have you had the discussion in your organization? As a director, that's all I need to ask. Has management actively thought about this? That's not something I see common. Um, the discussion as to where it should sit, I think we in our community talk about it a lot. I'm not sure that the CEOs of the world focus on it terribly much. Um, it's one of the things that I think directors take away from the course. We actually do a whole exercise on it. Where should it sit? What are the pros and cons? Um, 
And I think it's that how do we balance the performance of the organization with the conformance? And as directors, that's where this discussion needs to occur. And I think one of the things is that if we want to make this not just an IT problem, and for all the CISOs out there, giving up a little bit of control to broaden it can sometimes work in your favor in the sense that when the big thing happens, it's not you walking out the door as the resolution, you're the only point of call. But one of the things we find is, and I think this is a genuine change in the last year, we are definitely seeing traction across all of the business unit type leaders. They know this is a problem. They've been hurt. They actually want to do the right thing. Last year, we saw the financial institutions really focusing on this. This year, I've certainly seen a huge focus by the utilities and the transportation um, type organizations. There's been a real focus on how do we structure this right? And how do we make it not just an IT thing? How do we make this everybody's problem and everybody's the solution? Um, So where should it sit? And I think the answer to that is a discussion in the organization with this concept of how do we find the balance between not just being about command and control, how do we involve everyone else in the organization and how do we get the business to have some agency? Because for me, if moving it out of IT into anywhere else is going to foster the business people, the people that own the information, that own the relationship with the customers, if it's going to give them more agency, that's where it should live. And Jason, what about shareholders? Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you whether in your conversations with, with directors, uh, are shareholders asking questions about data breaches? Is this even on their radar right now? Or have they got other things that they are worried about or asking questions about? I can't say that I haven't heard the mention it, but I think the focus is still very much around CEO remuneration, remuneration reports, how we're going to deal with carbon tax, how we're going to deal with the environmental aspects. I, I think what's on their radar is different. Um, until the organization gets hit and then the questions come. Um, so you think it's that data breach that actually drives the questions from from shareholders. Yeah. Um, When we look at the Equifax one in particular, um, even then, yep, huge blowback from the shareholders because it was a big impact on the organisation. I think this is one of the things that for me connects back to an area where I think one of our regulators is not quite spot on. I still don't believe that cyber in itself is a material risk to an organization. Um, And I think the shareholders and the shareholder activists are kind of in that space. And let me be clear, um, we see cyber risk as the vector. It's the way in to hit fraud, reputation risk. Those are the things that will truly impact the organization. And cyber is just, it broadens the geographical inputs and it increases the speed and the velocity at which things happen. But by and large, the risk of cyber itself 
tends to be a bit low. We see it as being control weaknesses or strengths in the other corporate risks. Um, and I think probably not intentionally, but just the fact that CEO remuneration tends to be the headline grabber at the moment um, and the environmental impact. I think those are the spaces that shareholders get active about. Yep. Um, but that's not to say it's not coming. And Jason, some recent research here in Australia, and I think there was about 1,800 organisations surveyed, found that around two-thirds of Australian businesses don't have a cybersecurity professional on staff, and we'll put the link to that research in the show notes. But I'd like to understand from your perspective, what would you be advising they do? Can I broaden and twist the question? Of course. Just subtly. <laughs> um, one of the things in our experience that is the constant question is – you're always talking about boards and large corporations that can throw resources at this if they deem it's got high enough priority. What about the rest of us? What about the not-for-profits, the small family businesses? And we know that a one-person business is just as at risk as a large corporation. But we don't. We outsource technology. We're dependent on them. How on earth can we deal with this? And that tends to be one of those really hard questions. There's a wide range of advice out there on how does a small business deal with this. And the fundamental principles that a corporation use apply perfectly. The governance of cyber, and if you're thinking about, you know, sort of a, a 10-person not-for-profit that outsources their IT to an IT provider, what the executive and the board think about is exactly the same. It's do we know what? We're trying to protect. What are we protecting it from? How do we do that? And how do we recover? It's risk management. What are we at risk from? How good are our controls? We have to stop thinking this is a deep, dark problem. It's just another operational risk that a small business is just as liable as a large business for killing their staff. But we deal with that. We think about it. There are norms. There's guidance from regulators. And for a 10-person not-for-profit, the controls that they implement around occupational health and safety are not the same you would see in a large corporation. But the risk is the same. We think about it. We just can't implement everything. But in that cybersphere, how do we deal with it when we don't have a cybersecurity professional? Take the word cyber out. It's my number one tip for anyone that's an executive or a director. Drop the word cyber and think that thing, how would I do it in a normal corporate sense? If I'm thinking about a risk to my business, what's the likelihood? What's the impact? How do I reduce those to a point where that's the best I can do? And as a director, that's delivering on your fiduciary duty. As a manager, that's when I then turn to my outsourced IT service provider and I ask them the question, how would we recover? And I'm not talking about backups. That's where they'll go. But come back to the human side. How will my staff continue working? How will my customers be impacted? And what could we do? And you know what? Sometimes you can't do anything about it because your organization doesn't have the resources. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't think through it. And there's a dozen, there's dozens and dozens of guidelines out there that lay that simple concept out. But again, 
a lot of people don't go there because they see the word cyber, they get a mental block and go, I don't understand that. You don't need to. It's just yet another operational risk. That's fantastic common sense advice there, Jason. Thank you so much for that. And we are almost out of time. I'm really sad to say because there's so much more we could talk about. But maybe as a last question, from your wonderful and insightful perspective of having one foot in the boardroom and one foot in the cybersecurity camp, as we call it, uh, what do you think the cybersecurity profession could do more of to help boards better understand cybersecurity? Uh, easy one. It's straight back to the we've got a obligation to make sure that from a technology perspective, we're continuing to deal with the technology challenges and issues. But I think as a as an industry, we've got to broaden. We've got to be thinking about the impacts our cyber controls have on the operational performance of our staff and our third parties. Because I've seen so many large corporations say to their small service providers, you're putting us at risk. You have to have all these controls in place, effectively making it impossible for small businesses to work with large corporations. And that's a human problem. We have to think beyond our business and even our supply ecosystem, and we have to think what's our societal impact. Um, and I think that's our next step. And the thing that I constantly go back to is this has all been done before with the occupational health and safety journey. And when we were building the course, we went back and we started to find all these wonderful stories about organizations and peak bodies responsible for occupational health and safety, how did they deal with changing society? Um, and so the lessons have been learned and we've got this generous history to go back and say this worked, this didn't. And some of the more senior people in occupational health and safety have got amazing war stories that they willingly volunteer when we in the cyber industry partner with them great story from a customer we had we a, a technology team that had got a budget to go out and do a huge cyber awareness program and at the same time the occupational health and safety people had gotten a huge budget to go and do a huge those two are going to clash staff only have so much bandwidth and what was fantastic we we got both of them to come together pull their budgets and it was much more effective because they were able to get out and do roadshows and talk about digital well-being. And that's a term we use a lot. It's not just physical well-being and mental well-being. It's digital well-being. It's that journey that most staff instantly get. And it's the, the one pitch we have. It's this organization's talking about their duty of care to the digital well-being of their staff and their customers. And when we put it in those terms, People not of our world go, I understand what duty of care means. I understand what the well-being stuff is. And it's a great question. Does your organization's EAP program, if one of your staff rings up and says, my kid's being cyberbullied or I'm being cyberbullied, does your EAP service provider have the ability to provide cyber assistance to help them through? And, you know, like, this is a great one. Put out a training program on how do you deal with Facebook and Instagram privacy settings. You may block Facebook and Instagram on your work systems, but your staff, they're A, addicted, B, struggling with it, 
because we all struggle with how do we exist in this digital ecosystem, um, they, those courses are oversubscribed and a really sophisticated trick is get them involved in dealing with their cyber well-being at home and then show them how if they're making sophisticated cyber decisions at home, they'll bring that to work. And that's the final thing that I think is a learning point research is showing here in Australia that most people know this is a problem. Everybody knows cyber is a problem, but we're still not seeing everybody making sophisticated cyber decisions and exhibiting sophisticated cyber behaviours. And that's where we've got to lift everybody's game as a society, not just in my organisation. And again, we've still got to do all the technical controls. That stuff is critical and important, and we can't not do that. But I think our field needs to broaden out into how do those human behaviours and those psychological aspects and the feelings, and just quietly, that's not where technologists have been the strongest in the past, but how do we deal with those human feelings um, in this really complex world? Jason, thank you so much. I really feel like your unique insights are going to bring so much benefit to our community. Thank you for coming and joining us in the cafe today. Just one last thing. How can people follow you or get in touch if they'd like to chat to you more? Um, do they reach you on Twitter or go to your website? Yeah, so not on Twitter, <laughs> not on Facebook. That's okay. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. Well, I have placeholders so no one can take my identity. Good call. Yep. <laughs> But uh, I am on LinkedIn uh, under Jason Wilk um, and our website is www.bluezoo.com.au. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jason. Oh, no, thank you, Louise. This podcast is truly fantastic. It's what our community needed. Um, wonderful initiative. Oh, thank you so much. Louisa. That was very compelling discussion you have with Jason. I think I'll start with the one that leapt out about being able to learn quite a lot from occupational health and safety profession. And I thought about that a bit. Um, certainly my experience in the mining sector where things are being automated really is digital security and I can see that um, that would be a tangible example where you would link digital security and cybersecurity with a safety value for an organisation. I think there's a little way for us to go yet to start reusing some of those learnings because I think that the safety of the individual behind the screen hasn't really moved to a position where people are describing it as safety, right? So I think that we know... There's a big safety issue in relation to content, but that whole of linking it to occupational health and safety, and I did try it. I did think, how can I get some quick wins in a previous role? And I went and talked to them and they said, you're not touching my safety value because there was a KPI around it. The perception is that cybersecurity, digital security is about external threats, and whereas occupational health and safety is internal. 
And I think that's the difference. There's a bit of a delta there. But a really interesting opportunity to learn from another profession, right? We want all the learnings that we can possibly get our hands on. Anything really jump out for you? Yeah, I found the piece around, I guess, the separation of cyber culture as a, as a kind of term and how he described it from a boardroom perspective that really boards uh, maybe don't relate to that very well because they have a culture already in their organization. So calling it cyber behaviors, cybersecurity behaviors was a better approach with the board. Now, that's not to say that the word cyber culture doesn't resonate with other parts of the organization. So we're not, I don't think he's advocating to get rid of that phrase. And there's a lot of good work being done in that space. But it was just a good perspective from the board's point of view, that they have one culture. So I think that's a great way of helping us not try and, you know, what we should be doing is retrofitting into that culture, not creating something separate, which is a lot of hard work, by the way. I mean, the first thing you do is look at the organization's values and align to that straight away. That's what we should be doing. I really hope it was helpful for the cybersecurity community to get that insight from someone who teaches board members on cybersecurity and how to treat, how to treat it as a risk and is also a cybersecurity professional. So, you know, he really has to eat his own lunch in some ways. And I thought that was really practical as well. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and look forward to you joining us next time. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and for more information, visit cybersecuritycafe.com.au and find us on Twitter at CyberSEC Cafe.